Hello and welcome to Scintillating Stories. In this show we read short stories by a variety of authors. Today is a bonus episode to celebrate the birthday of Catherine Mansfield. We will listen to two readings by Linda Lappin from her novel, Catherine's Wish. Paris, October 1922. Paris was soon behind them. Catherine sat very still and withdrawn, her eyes fixed on the window as the train rattled past the shabby little houses of the bagne with their grey cabbage plots, brightened here and there by yellow bursts of chrysanthemums. Then on across charred fields where peasants were burning off the wheat stubble. In the distance, up ahead, lay the forest of Fontainebleau, a dark streak on the horizon. On the seat beside her lay a pair of dove-gray gloves, and a wilted bouquet of cyclamen Ida had insisted on buying for her from a beggar-girl at the Gare de Lyon. At her feet, her leather valise, containing only the essentials for an overnight trip. Her hat-box and steamer-trunk had been left behind at the select hotel, for she had been invited to spend only one night in Fontainebleau at G.I. Gurdjieff's Institute for the Harmonious Development of Man. If Mr. Gurdjieff accepted her as a pupil and allowed her to stay, she would send Ida back to Paris early in the morning to fetch her trunk and other belongings. The question was, would he say yes? And would he let her stay for as long as three months? That ought to be enough, she thought. Though enough for what, exactly? She was not sure. Ida sat across from her, looking distraught, puzzling over a handful of coins, counting and recounting francs and sous. This journey, like so many others, would have been impossible without her assistance, and Catherine knew she should be grateful. Yet Ida's every awkward gesture, every little blunder, jarred her nerves. She watched Ida fumbling in her pockets, pulling out more change. The train jolted. A five-franc piece tumbled from her hand, rolled across the floor, and slipped before their eyes into a niche beneath a seat where it was now quite irretrievable. Oh, Katie, look what I've done! That was just what we needed to pay our cab fare. Catherine shrugged and said nothing. Her dependence on Ida was one of those chains from which, she hoped, she would soon be freed. A ray of sun flashed on the gleaming brass nameplate of her valise. Catherine stared at the engraved letters K.M.M. for Catherine Mansfield Murray. That was not the name printed on the passport she carried in the vest pocket of her overcoat, which was her real name, Kathleen Beauchamp Murray. But those were only two of a multitude. Kathleen, Catherine, Kath. Katie, Kathy, Katya, Yekaterina, Kass, Kisinka, K 
K.M. Tig. She had a host of names ready for any occasion, and each one conjured up a different woman. Lately, she had begun to wonder which, if any, of these characters was the real I. Your name is Legion, Uspensky had said. Who was she really? Only a nameless pair of eyes. She often thought, absorbing the world into a pitiless gaze. To this thought, she had returned often over the last few weeks. I have been a camera, a mere mechanical observer. At times, it seemed to her she could even detach herself from her own body, as it jerked and coughed like a mechanical doll, while another eye looked down upon her from above. Gilding all with a light from elsewhere, was that perhaps the inner light of self Gurdjieff promised to awaken? Now the train skirted a dense wood. It was a golden afternoon. The woods were full of people out walking on pathways, thickly carpeted with dead leaves. A fellow roaming with two ginger-colored hunting dogs waved at the train as it passed. When does a journey really begin? Thought Catherine, as the man with the dogs met her eyes, then slid away in the window. It was a little like falling in love or running into debt. The beginning is so subtle you may not notice. Then suddenly there you are, hurtling into the distance on a train, and there's no turning back. Until you reach the end of the line, until you have gone all the way through with it, burning your bridges if need be, and leaving everything tidy in case you never make it back. She always did that before a journey, answered every letter, paid every bill, destroyed every useless or embarrassing scrap of paper. Last August. She had gone so far as to make her will, naming Murray executor, and leaving her cherished pearl ring to his younger brother, to Ida her gold watch. She had no other valuables to dispose of. She had accumulated little in thirty-four years: a brass pig, a walking stick, a broken Japanese doll. When she had once dreamed of owning houses, gardens, and an automobile, this short trip today would somehow be decisive. To think this journey had all begun by opening a book months ago in Switzerland. How bitterly she and Jack had quarrelled over cosmic anatomy. But reading that book. Had struck a low note of recognition in her, like the sound of a foghorn in the bay, signalling the presence of something portentous, moving in the darkness, intoning a warning: "Wake up, do something. There isn't much time." And here she was, doing it, whatever it was, whatever it meant. By the time she had stepped through the doors of thirty-eight Warwick Gardens to hear Uspensky speak, she was already midway to Fontainebleau. The train lurched as they approached the station. She glanced at the objects surrounding her, 
the leather valise, the dove-gray gloves, the tired cyclamen, the maroon suede shoes on her small feet. She considered herself among these possessions, a woman traveling by train, her bag stuffed with cigarettes, pills for headaches and rheumatism, laundry lists, pencil stubs, notepads, a blood-spotted handkerchief, a rapidly depleting supply of French francs, and a small traveling clock ticking the minutes away. Catherine Mansfield and George Gurdjieff, a talk with Linda Lappin, author of Catherine's Wish, a novel about the life of Catherine Mansfield. On January 13, 1923, George Ivanovich Gurdjieff, the much-discussed spiritual leader of the last century, publicly inaugurated his study house, a refurbished airplane hangar, erected on the grounds of the Priore de Basloge, a former Carmelite monastery in Fontainebleau outside Paris, which housed Gurdjieff's Institute for the Harmonious Development of Man, gaily decorated with arabesques, spread with rich oriental carpets, furnished with a small fountain illuminated by multicolored lights. This exotic corner of the East, transported to the environs of Paris, exerted a magnetic attraction over a great number of intellectuals, writers, artists, dancers, and musicians, who flocked there to witness the extraordinary performances of Gurdjieff's sacred dances and movements, accompanied by stirring, melancholy piano music composed by Thomas de Hartmann with the master Gurdjieff on Eastern themes. Once open to the public, the study house welcomed celebrities like Diaghilev of the Ballet Russe and Frank Lloyd Wright, the famed architect. But just days before its official inauguration, Another illustrious person had sat in the front row of the audience, wrapped in a fur coat, and watching the dancers intensely. It was Catherine Mansfield, this pioneer of the modernist short story, spent the last three months of her life as Gurdjieff's guest. Catherine Mansfield did not live long enough to participate in the gala celebration of January 13th, for she had been buried the day before, in the cemetery of Fontainebleau-Avon, after dying of a hemorrhage on January 9th at the age of 34. Mansfield had come here after a long sterile journey seeking health, which had begun in 1918 when she discovered she had tuberculosis. From that moment on, her life had been a restless pilgrimage, crisscrossing Europe on trains, accompanied by her companion, Ida Baker, separated most of the time from her husband, John Middleton Murray, looking for a better climate, a new cure, a home. But how had this writer from New Zealand, a little land with no history, or so she described it, how had she ended up here knocking at Gurdjieff's door? This story had interested me for many years, and my new novel, Catherine's Wish, attempts to answer in part the question as to why Mansfield went to Fontainebleau. I worked on this novel for many years, reading and rereading Mansfield's work, her letters and diaries, those of friends and associates like D. H. Lawrence and Virginia Woolf, studying criticism of her stories, 
gathering historical information, sifting through unpublished articles, memoirs, hard-to-find resources, and visiting places connected to her life, including the Priore, where I managed to take a photograph of the interior while the building was being renovated a few years ago. At one point I became so saturated with content it was imperative to do something with it all. I began with the idea of writing a screenplay, but then, after a pilgrimage to Fontainebleau, wrote an essay entitled The Ghosts of Fontainebleau, which was later published by the Southwest Review. Friends and editors suggested I turn the essay into a piece of fiction. It began as a short story, later nominated for the Pushcart Prize, and then became a novel. Catherine's Wish closely follows the chronology of Mansfield's life. It explores her artistic and spiritual quest. For writing and spiritual concerns were always linked for Catherine Mansfield. It also explores her intense relationships with John Middleton Murray and Ida Baker, and with her writer friends D. H. Lawrence and Virginia Woolf, who appear as minor characters. There is, in fact, an entire chapter devoted to Mansfield's friendship with Virginia Woolf. My technique in writing this novel has been to use some of Mansfield's own techniques in my narrative, weaving in ideas, themes, symbols from the stories, moods, episodes, and imagery from the diaries and letters, all into a multi-layered fabric true to the voice and spirit of Mansfield's own writing. I have taken liberty to flesh out and re-imagine some scenes and events for which conflicting documentation exists. But overall, I have adhered to a sense of truth viewed as a mosaic. A vivid, richly detailed slice of life from Mansfield's brief and often tormented existence, Catherine's Wish celebrates Mansfield's deep love of life, which never abandoned her, and its final message is a life-affirming one of joy and wholeness achieved. For readers familiar with Mansfield's life and writings, I hope they will enjoy the sense of full immersion I have tried to evoke. Those who have never read Mansfield or don't know much about her life will, I believe, be caught up in her spell and in the drama of her courageous struggle against time. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave a link in the description where you can find more by Linda. If you want to suggest or submit a short story or a subject you'd like us to cover, then contact us through Facebook or Twitter and subscribe if you would like to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production.